to Lawyerish, a podcast for the people. Lawyerish is a safe space to learn, grow, inspire, and be inspired. So come along and ride on this fantastic voyage. Let us go be great together. I'm Brandon J. Wallace Esquire, and I'll be your captain. It's a whole vibe. And I sure am glad you're here. Lawyerish is powered by Apex, where aptitude meets excellence. And our voyage vibe today is from the one and only Young Dog. May you rest in peace. This is Preach off his 2014 album, High Class Street Music 4, American Gangster. Keeping it gangster today. Let's jump right in to Newly Noted. Okay, friends, it's time now for Duly Noted. And this week, we're going to talk about, of course, Judge Katanji Brown Jackson, soon to be, hopefully, Justice Katanji Brown Jackson. Unless you've been living under a rock the past four days, or the past few days, we spent four days of last week uh, watching intently as the Senate's Judiciary Committee uh, grilled Judge Jackson uh, in their confirmation hearings. Uh, if you don't know, uh, President Biden nominated Judge Brown some time ago. And uh, we hope, the world hopes, that the world is watching, America is watching, as uh, we go through these confirmation hearings, go through the process of getting her confirmed to this lifetime appointment on the Supreme Court. This is a huge deal, uh, as uh, it's one of President Biden's campaign promises to nominate a black woman to the Supreme Court. It's also a huge deal because there is never, in all of our years of existence, uh, America that is, there has not been a black woman to sit on the Supreme Court. Well, hopefully that's all going to change. And I got to tell you, this black man is proud, very, very proud of uh, Judge Jackson and of President Biden for uh, sticking to his guns on this one. Uh, America is changing for the better, and I, for one, am glad of it. Speaking of changing, as I watched... So I spent time watching these confirmation hearings. There are a couple things, if you follow me on social media, then you know this already, but there are a couple things that stood out to me that I want to talk about here. Number one, the Senate really needs term limits. It's absurd, right? We have senators who have served, and we thank them for their service, but they have served for decade upon decade upon decade. And if you're like me, I'm over it. I just want, we need new blood. We need new energy. There's just no reason senators should be uh, in the Senate, in Congress for 30, 40, 50 years, or whatever the case may be. Uh, if you don't know, the Senate has six-year terms, uh, usually six-year terms. Sometimes uh, if a senator is appointed, they may um, finish out a, uh, that term before they have to go through re-election again. Uh, but nonetheless, every full Senate term is six years. And it's just so frustrating to me to see all these old white men and 
old white women too, <laughs> in the Senate running our country. Uh, and our country doesn't look like that anymore. It's just our country is not well represented in the Senate. There's only one, uh, I'm sorry, there's only two black men in the Senate out of 100. And currently there are no black women. And, you know, friends, that's just a damn shame to me. I don't think that's appropriate or acceptable. I, I think we need to do better. And the way that we do that is the Senate needs term limits so bad. It really does, right? We have term limits on the presidency. A person can only serve uh, two years as president. Uh, there, are, There is a loophole that will allow a president to serve 10 years. Uh, that's if uh, that person were, you know, vice president um, and maybe the president passed uh, while in office and had two years left on his term. Well, the VP could serve out those two years um, and theoretically be elected twice to their own terms, um, to their own sort of consecutive terms in the White House. And with that, um, one could serve 10 years uh, as the leader of the free world. Uh, but we have term limits, nonetheless, on the White House, on the executive branch. Uh, there are no term limits uh, on the Supreme Court. As you know, it's a lifetime appointment. Uh, there are no terms in general. Uh, but in Congress, there, there, are no, uh, there are no term limits. They can just run and run and run. And unfortunately, I think that creates such a disadvantage for regular folks who just want to run and who want to leave. These senators on the government dime, on the government teat, if you will, uh, with their government health insurance and their government paychecks, government handouts, if you will, um, they they uh, are able. They're also in a position to raise uh, large large amounts of, of money uh, to continue running. And so, for someone like me or you who may wake up tomorrow and decide to run for senate. Um, we'd have to have deep, deep coffers, uh, either personal money or be able to raise ex uh, huge amounts uh, of money um, to, to even compete against the name recognition and against the, uh, the, the, the war chest of, of these sitting senators. And I just don't think that's fair. I think we need term limits. I would say no more than probably two or three terms. If you can't make a difference or make a change, in 12 or 18 years uh, in service, then you need to have several seats. Uh, move on and let someone else get to work. Uh, there's just no reason. And, and by the way, this particular opinion has, has no bearing on the left or, or the right, no more bearing, I should say, on the left than the right or the right than the left. There are senators in the U.S. Senate who have been there uh, for, for years and years and years, terms and terms and terms, and I just don't think that is the way that uh, we ought to run our, our government. Uh, you know, Democrats uh, like Senator Joe Manchin, um, uh, like Ted Cruz or uh, Republicans like Ted Cruz or uh, Mitch McConnell, uh, Dianne Feinstein. You know, some of these folks I have great respect for. Everyone I've named, I have at least some respect for, uh, <laughs> some more than others. Uh, nonetheless... It's time for it's time for folks to start retiring from the Senate, it, and we need to force that. If you serve, you get reelected to a third term. That ought to be your last, and, and we need to just we need to. 
our Senate needs to reflect our nation better. It just ought to. It's the uh, it used to be the world's most deliberative body. I don't know what it is now, but part of the reason why it is the way it is is because people don't retire. They get these jobs and they they keep them for a lifetime, and that just ain't right. Uh, and I could name many many names. I don't want to create a whole bunch of enemies, although I don't mind. Um, it just it just doesn't make sense. The left and the right, uh, listen, two, three terms max, we need to do this. So we got to find something to do. Like, can we sign a petition? Can we start a nonprofit that advocates this? I mean, this is just ridiculous. Like, think about folks like Lindsey Graham. I mean, he's been in the Senate for decades. It's time for him to have a seat. Let somebody else from South Carolina uh, represent you. South Carolina, what's up with y'all? Like, seriously, is that your man? Is this your senator? <laughs> All right, let me get off my soapbox. <clears throat> anyway, friends, that's just my two cents. I really, really think uh, we need term limits right away. We've got to change this, um, and we need to. We really need to do that. Like, that needs to be somebody's campaign promise that they eventually keep. Anyway, that's just my two cents. I'd love to hear what you have to say. What do you think? Am I off my rocker? Do you agree? Can we actually do it? Email us, lawyers at apexgroupdc.com. I'd love to hear from you and hear your thoughts. Anyway, friends, that's been duly noted. We'll be right back. All right, friends, we are back, and it's time now for Lawyerish, and I'm super excited to welcome my good friend and colleague, Mr. A.J. Amisa Esquire. A.J., welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, man. Friends, A.J. graduated cum laude from Benedict College, Benedict College in 2013. After graduating from Benedict College, he attended Southern University Law School Law Center in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. After a year at Southern, he transferred back home to the University of the District of Columbia, David A. Clark School of Law, where he participated in the Legislative Clinic and the Special Education Clinic. Mr. Amisa graduated cum laude from UDC Law uh, and worked afterwards at the Children's Law Center in Washington, D.C. as a guardian, guardian ad litem and a special education attorney. While at the law center, he represented a number of underserved children and parents in disciplinary hearings, IEP meetings, abuse and neglect hearings, juvenile and mental health proceedings, and etc. Mr. Amisa left the law center in August of 2018 to start his own firm with his classmate, our classmate, Mr. Anthony Marsh II. That's Amisa and Marsh Law Firm. Mr. Amisa is the founder also of the Brown Bag Project DMV, a nonprofit organization aimed to support and advocate for individuals experiencing homelessness. My brother, thank you so much again for being on the show. What a pleasure it is to have you and to chat with you. So we go way back uh, from our law school days. I think we met once you transferred to UDC Law, and uh, we've been uh, working together on and off uh, ever since then. And so uh, this is an exciting opportunity for us to get to chat with you. So let's jump right into it. What is your, how did you start your law journey? How did you come to, to go to law school and to be a lawyer? What, what, how did you come to this path? All right, man. So don't laugh at me. Um, I, I never actually wanted to be on this path at all, man. Okay. 
<laughs> so I mean, my my goal was I I didn't really even want to go to college. My goal was honestly to just really write books and sell dashikis on the metro. That was how I dreamed. I um, <laughs> I went to college because I wanted to play football um, and continue my football career. I wasn't really that good. I was I was okay. <laughs> you had to be okay. <laughs> I mean, but like I played D three um, for a year. And I actually kind of didn't, didn't really like the stigma of being like a college athlete. Um, um, I just couldn't keep up with both. And I was failing on my classes. And I, I told myself at the end of spring semester, if I was not doing well anymore. So I didn't. Um, and I wanted to be a lawyer when I was a child, probably like six or seven. And then I kind of lost loose of that dream because it just seemed a little far-fetched. Hmm. Um, and so... When I got to Benedict College at the HBCU, I was around a bunch of professors and a bunch of black people that were just successful. A lot of black lawyers would come and speak to us during career day and all these things. And so I was around people that seen that made it seem like it was possible, mm-hmm. right? And my my short sightedness and um, lack of dreaming um, was kind of was kind of exploited at that point. And I, and I met a lot of young people and a lot of young brothers that was like, man, you can do whatever you wanted to do. And I kind of took that on. And I think it, it was the Trayvon Martin trial that really kind of ignited my my, my my dream to want to be a lawyer because we watched everyone watch that trial on YouTube. It was probably one of the first trials, I would say, since OJ Simpson that everybody was like glued into That's the truth. Yeah. And we were way too young for OJ. So like this was like our time to kind of glue into the TV and kind of like be like, man, is he going to get off? Is he not? But I mean, as we all were disappointed, I, I kind of took it as, man, if they can get Zimmerman off, right, we can get a, y- a lot of other young brothers off that are innocent. Yeah, because right, he was clearly very guilty. I thought the prosecutor, by the way, did an awful job. Uh, yeah. he, he was just terrible. Uh, <laughs> I just don't know. He, he had no coherent uh, uh, case. Uh, it just and and the facts were on his side. So I, I remember that. I actually also remember the the OJ Simpson trial. I, I'm old, I, I'm, <laughs> so I wasn't too young for that. But <laughs> but yeah, I I think I love that that that, that you saw that as an opportunity. Uh, to say, you know, if if it can happen for him, it can happen to, for so many others if they have uh, competent uh, representation. No, absolutely. And I mean, like, that, that kind of exploited, like, the system, right? Mm-hmm. Because I see it all the time, man. Like, it's not hard to prosecute a case. Yeah. I don't want to say, like, hard as an lawyer because litigation is really A case like that is really just not that hard to prosecute. And so it just showed a lack of effort when we were on the other side of the victim block, right? And and that is what kind of bothered me. Race was a big issue. I mean, surrounding the trial, coming into the trial, and I feel like that would have been an opportunity for us to show that the system also works for us as well, and they failed on that opportunity. Yeah, failed horribly, by the way. I mean, I, I can't tell you how much I, I was just very, very upset by that case. Uh, but let me get to my next question. What's your current inspiration, right? So it's hard to go through law school, be a lawyer, uh, to, to be a lawyer. What's your current inspiration to, to, to be a good lawyer now? Um, I think it's winning, right? <laughs> like, I think when clients hire you, they want to know that you have the ability to win, right? Some of them want to know that you're going to win their actual case, 
but then some that are more a little bit more realistic, can you actually win, period, right? Because if you can't win, period, I'm not going to give you this $3,500 for this upfront retainer. And that not only inspires me, man, I just, I have fell in love with litigation to the point where, like, I want to win. And, I mean, that's always been to me. I'm an athlete by nature, by heart. And as a kid, I wanted to win. When I was playing basketball, I wanted to win. When I was playing football, baseball, it didn't matter. I wanted to be the best out there. And that that's what I want now. I want people to know who AJ Amisa is when they speak of law in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. Because that's that's what I want. And that inspires me to keep going. Um, and, and as we kind of discussed before, man, I, it's not that I'm afraid of losing either. I learn a lot from losing. Um, and losing, I think I, I'm one of those people that can kind of point to everything I did wrong in the trial, not beat myself up. I'm not like not drinking the bottle down because I lost, <laughs> but like I point to things that I need to work on. I mean, a lot of times I get a little excited, right? Cause I know he's lying. I'm trying to get him in that lie and I, and I, and I lose track of my prep. Mm. And that was something I've been working on for the last year. Like stick to the game plan. I coach basketball and I talk to my kids about that all the time, especially my son, because he'll get upset and then he'll lose track of the game plan. Like you're only one piece of the puzzle and our, and our prep is there for a, re- a reason. So yeah, I mean, the, go back to your original question. Yeah. The fact of winning and just like being, being great, it inspires me. That's what I want. Yeah. I love that. I, I just, I just have come off uh, before we, you know, we're starting this recording. I've just uh, volunteered at the, uh, youth Lawfare, hosted by the D.C. Bar. Uh, and I, I was on the panel, Ask a Lawyer panel. Um, and uh, my answer to a similar question was was the same. It's like, I enjoy winning, right? I <laughs> I love to, uh, to, to be of service to my clients, uh, for sure. But I really, really like to win. And so <laughs> when I'm able to do that and do it for the benefit of, of someone else, then that really that's is very inspiring for me, and it, it drives me. Um, and I see that's the same for you, um, and maybe the same for for a lot of lawyers too. But uh, you know, it, I, I don't know. That's just something that I that I um, I speak to, and I, I like to see that in others as well. Um, so you you practice all kinds of law. You said you love litigation. So you, you do criminal law, DUI litigation, family law litigation, civil litigation, personal injury law. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm not a litigator. I have done some litigation and landlord tenant and, and some other administrative, uh, claims that I've been able been a, or hearings I've been a part of. Um, what's the toughest thing about litigation? I mean, I, that is a, that is a specialized field within the law. What's the, what's one of the like toughest things to, to, to do or to grasp, uh, regarding, uh, litigation? I think, there, there is a couple, and I would say two instead of one. I'll be quick, I promise. But um, <laughs> the first one is knowing the facts of your case. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, you got you can prep for eight weeks straight on a trial, which I wouldn't suggest because we're all way too busy, but yeah. you can do that. But if you don't know all the facts of your case, because you're going, there's going to be something you miss in your prep. You're not going to know what the other person is going to bring completely, right? What they're going to testify to. And you understanding your facts and the facts that are actually true allows you to be great in that litigation because it's about telling a story. Mm-hmm. And when that story doesn't fit your narrative but doesn't fit the actual truth either, yeah. you need to 
ready, right? You need to be ready like an attack dog, right, yeah. to jump on that, but still be able to kind of, like I was saying, get back to the game plan. Because those are, those are like, I call, those are gimmies, man. I want those because if I can destroy your credibility, you know, then the judge can be like, all right, what they're saying doesn't make sense, but what you're saying does. Mm-hmm. So knowing the facts of your case, also knowing the rules of evidence. Yeah, critical. You know, come in. Right. Like you like I, I've seen plenty of prosecutors that wanna lead the witness their entire time. That's not direct. Right? Direct examination, you cannot ask leading questions. And I have one cases solely on the fact that the prosecutor can't get evidence in because he doesn't know the difference between leading and, and um a direct examination. Yeah. Well cross yeah, and so I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I meant to say cross and direct, like what a leading question is. They don't know the difference to that and, and but yeah, no, so I wanted to just point out to our listeners, some of whom are, are lawyers, others are, are not familiar with the law, uh, but we, in in a trial, you know, you can have all the evidence in the world, but if you can't get it admitted according to the rules of evidence, then it doesn't matter, right? It doesn't, it, it can't come in to be considered by the judge or the jury, uh, and that's a critical, what AJ is saying here, so that's a critical uh, thing to know about about litigation is the, the rules of um, uh, of evidence and how to get evidence admitted or thrown out, right? <laughs> yeah. So thank you for sharing that. I appreciate that. I think we went off our game plan, but you were ready as per usual. So <laughs> thank you for that. Um, let me get into a couple of my favorite questions here. Um I want to know about, you know, throughout your your career, um, your uh, sort of best or worst experience, right? And I, I let our guests sort of answer this question as they see fit. But what we're looking for is maybe your best experience that was like a highlight of your career thus far or a, a low point, your worst experience that was like, eh, you know what, I've got to refocus. i got to do something different or it was a major lesson learned for you moving forward. Yeah, so, uh, so I'll start with the worst experience I've had that was like kind of like a turning point in my career. I want to say like early 2018, um, late 2018, early 2019, I can't remember the date. I had probably my third criminal trial. Um, and I thought I had all the facts in the world. I didn't think it led up to like the elements of the law. I, w- I was killing on cross. You know what I mean? I thought I gave a great sermon as a uh, closing statement. I had I had the choir like singing in the background, Brandon. I was, I was doing great. And, I believe that. <laughs> and then the, the judge was like guilty, and, and and it. I usually ask every judge, especially in bench trials, like for feedback. Um, but I I had to ask him because I was very confused, and he he said something to me that was um I think has been like the one of the pillars in my career when it comes to prep was that. You know, you did a great job. You speak well. You sounded good. You knew the facts, but I didn't hear any law. Hmm. And I was like, well, I mean, he didn't meet the law. He was like, well, you didn't tell me that. Uh-huh. Right? Like, say that. You didn't say what the law was and how he didn't meet to it. The prosecutor gave me every statute, every element, and he lined it up perfectly fine. And you just said a bunch of facts. And it was true. And... And, and, and it messed with me to the point where I was just like, man, you know what I mean? Like, what am I doing? 
And, and from that point on, I would always start my prep, even before opening. Because I used to start with my opening and go all the way through. Um, for some reason, that's how my mind works. I'm a linear person. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I found out what the law is. What is the law? What are we What are we going off of? And I, and I, I tailor my theory, my prep, and everything based on the law now. It was something I just didn't do. You know, when you're coming on to like the CJA panel, like you don't really have a law firm that's your base. You're learning all this stuff on your own. And so I had to kind of learn things that I would like have a supervisor like oversee. I had to learn on my own and do it myself. So that was that. But the best case or the best thing that happened, it was, it was honestly a couple months ago. I was draining, dreading going into this trial actually. Um, because it was a loser, right? It was a loser. client <laughs> is getting charged with destruction of property. They literally have a woman, um, and that's how I'll say it. it was a woman. I don't know if it was my client. It's a woman on camera, key in a car. Clear. Like, you can see the scratches. It was a nice, beautiful infinity. Um, <laughs> making designs. You see her walk up. Similar build to my client. You can't really see her face. Walk off. Um, the witness and her actually did drugs together. They did drugs together. So, you know, it was a fact that I didn't know because we didn't none, none of discovery. But client actually leaned over to me as the witness was testifying, saying, I know it's her. It looks like her. It appears to be her. She was like, we, just, we went to go do crack after that because I went into his house and we left <laughs> off to go do crack. So I brought it up, right? I was like, did you um? Did you leave to go get crack after um she came to your house? He was like, yeah. I was like, you didn't call nine one one. He was like, no. I was like, so you left in the car that you claimed that you saw her key, or that you knew it was her that keyed it to go get crack? And he was like, yeah. And so like it was it was great though because like even when we talk about evidence, the prosecutor couldn't even admit the video because he could not authenticate it either. And so it was like. It was like the lawyer gods from heaven were like, <laughs> like give me this alley So you have this guy admitting to leaving the scene with the person that he allegedly knew keyed his car. To, to go, go do crack, smoke, right? Go, <laughs> not, not go smoke a J or go, yeah. go, go do crack. Right. You know I mean? And then you have like the prosecutor that forgets to even admit it and then tries to admit it on the back end and then doesn't go in at all. I mean, I just felt like, and that was a lesson to me about, like, you got to stay in the game. Yeah. Right? No matter what like, it looks like, right? It may feel all things are stacked against you, but because you stayed in the game and you kept hammering, hammering away at it, uh, yeah. it, it seemed to work out in your favor. No, exactly. It's really just not where you start. It's where you finish. You Absolutely. know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like, with everything in front of you, adversity, we all been there, man. We're black men in America, right? Yeah, like, we're not supposed to be here, but it's it's about, like, yeah. keep going, like, where you finish at. And I, that was the goal. Like, I go into, like, I got a loser on Monday, but I'm going to try. try everything. <laughs> I'm going to go fight. <laughs> go fight with. Um, that's so good. I thank you for sharing that, that, that story. I've got two more questions. I actually got one more question, but I want to bounce back because I want to, I want to hear a little bit about your nonprofit, the Brown Bag Project DMV. Can you just tell us a little bit about that, what you do, uh, and also how we find you if people want to donate? Absolutely. So we haven't really done, we've been very sporadic lately, um, only because of COVID, um, 
it's it's one of those things, man. You just gotta be kind of careful. You know, you're no good if you can't help anyone. Because yeah, that's so true. Um, but we were usually we used to do every other month. Um, we're probably gonna do an event coming probably in May or June. Um, where we'll just hand out like feminine hygiene products, male hygiene products, pads, tampons, um, toothbrushes, toothpaste, soap, lotion. Anything you think of, toilet paper, socks, underwear, um, draws, as my country folks like to say. <laughs> um, we, we usually find a spot. You can find us on at Brown Bag DMV, Brown Bag Project DMV on Instagram. And I think it's the same hashtag or title in Facebook. Um, we're not as active as we used to be when we were first out of law school, but um, and that's more because of COVID, but. What we do, though, our goal with that is just to provide or be some type of um, blessing to that need. You know, a lot of times people think like clothes, which we do do, clothes drives, and food. But there's certain hygiene products that we might take for granted because we have the income or the finances to buy it. But I didn't know a pair, a pack of pads, like nine bucks. Yeah, that's ridiculous. <laughs> Too expensive. They call that the... The pink tax. That's part of the pink tax, man. We, that's something that hopefully our country will do something about because it's really unfair. I mean, everything costs more for women. It's really ridiculous. Uh, uh, but could, uh, could, kudos on the work that you're doing there. And please, uh, as you all get back uh, going, please let me know. We're, we're happy to support at Apex or whatever we can do to help. Uh, it's a great cause and you're doing great work and have been for a, a long time. You're really... Uh, a man of the community, you coach, you've got a kid. I mean, you're, you're always doing something positive. And I, I think that's one of the reasons I have such great respect for you and happy to, to be working with you as much as, uh, as much as I do. So keep up the good work there. Um, my last question, and, and we've got just a couple of minutes is uh, what advice do you have for other uh, young lawyers or uh, people who are in law school or maybe even your younger self that you might want to share or wish you had known uh, before you kind of got deep into the practice? All right. Perfect. So and I'm, I'm a son of a Baptist preacher. And, uh, <laughs> and preacher, so if I go too long, just tell me to be quiet. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> um, I mean, just keep going. You know, there's a lot of points in getting here to the where I'm at now where I just kind of wanted to give up. You know what I mean? There was a lot of things, man. I think my first year when I got the Benedict, one of the things I didn't say is, man, I had to sleep in my car the first half of the year, school year, because I couldn't afford to stay on campus, you know? And so wow. that was hard. I mean, yeah. I don't, I'm from South Carolina. I'm from the DMV. I'm from Northern Virginia. And, like, it's just different. You know what I mean? Like, that's where my support system was. And I stuck with it because I didn't want to come back home as another college dropout, right? And so I stuck with it because I knew it was important for my family. I had a niece who was just born. But I stuck, I stuck with it. You know, keep going. You know, it's, it's a journey. But every part of this journey, every part um, is worth is worth it. It builds you, you know, like, I mean, I think we all feel like the, the brunt of COVID right now and the overwhelming amount of work in cases. But I guarantee you, if we can tackle where we are now, two years from now, it's going to be a breeze. So I think the, the effort of just keep going and keep moving and, like, embrace the struggle, embrace the stress and the trauma and, like, allow it to build you who you are, man, it's going to make you 
so much more impactful in this world. So that that's my thing. Keep going, man. Law school is only a small part of everything. And I guarantee the reward is worth it. It's definitely worth it. Absolutely. Well, I agree wholeheartedly. Thank you for that. Uh, wonderful words of wisdom from our good brother, AJ Amisa Esquire. Thank you so much for spending time with us today, Brad. I, I know how much your billable hour is, and so we can't afford it here, but we're glad. <laughs> we're glad that you would give it to us today. Really appreciate your time. Wishing you all the best. Hopefully you'll come back with us. We've got roundtables coming up. Well, this won't be the last time that we see you on the show, hopefully. Absolutely not. I'll be back, man. Excellent. Glad to hear it. All right, friends, we'll be right back. Hang tight. All right, friends, it's now time for our wellness check. Listen, we have talked about wellness uh, almost this, this is episode seven, and we've talked about it every episode, and I absolutely love this, and I, I appreciate all the feedback that we get uh, on this particular segment. Uh, I understand it's really helping people, right, to be mindful um, of our wellness and our wellness space. And um, this week, I hope to to do the same or to continue in that vein, but in a brief way. I just want to remind you that we don't talk about this wellness thing uh, because it's cute. We don't talk about it because it's fun. <laughs> Actually, most of the time, it's not fun, not necessarily fun. It's, it's deep, uh, dark work uh, that we are all responsible for. Uh, in ourselves. But more importantly, this wellness work is critical to our health, our overall health and well-being. I found out the hard way that if I didn't deal with wellness, wellness would deal with me. And I literally, I, I, just a moment of transparency, I sometimes struggle with anxiety. I, uh, you know, whether it's COVID-related or uh, just uh, self-consciousness or uh, feelings of self-doubt or imposter syndrome or stepping out of my comfort zone altogether, I literally feel the anxiety. And I never knew this uh, until I learned it the hard way. Uh, but if we don't deal, as I mentioned, if we don't deal with wellness, wellness will deal with us. And for me, that looked like anxiety on steroids. And so I have been actively working uh, on this wellness journey, on this wellness thing, on this journey for probably two, three years or so now. Um, and I have lots of work to do, but I'm very proud of myself that I've made significant progress with help from my therapist and from my friends who are committed to wellness as well, to my book club and to um, many others who uh, who are doing this work too uh, that we that I work with together. I have made a lot of progress, and so today our wellness check is really just a reminder of why we do this. Don't get it twisted. This is not uh, for fun. It's not for show. Uh, this wellness stuff has real life consequences is if consequences if we don't deal with it uh, broken relationships uh, physical pain uh, mental pain uh, all result when we don't put our wellness as a priority in our lives 
for me, as I said, that looked like anxiety, but it actually felt like stomach aches and uh, upset stomach. Uh, it felt like headaches and even if you can believe this or not, ass aches. <laughs> I, I kid you not. And I, I'm, I'm totally being completely transparent. If you ever heard someone say, you make my ass ache, right? Then people sometimes will add in some other colorful words. <laughs> but I, I used to hear that and I just thought it was a joke, that it was someone jokingly saying that you get on my nerves or you're a pain in my butt, right? Uh, but what I learned in actuality is that stress and anxiety and trauma, unresolved, unaddressed, really does and can be physically debilitating. Um, and so if you're finding yourself uh, having a tough time, uh, struggling to get out of bed, struggling to be productive, in pain, headaches, and uh, you know, stomach aches and queasiness and uh, even even vomiting and things like that. Um, certainly, see a doctor, check out, and make sure there's nothing physically wrong. Uh, but don't forget that some of these could be symptoms of unchecked wellness. Don't let that be you, friends. You deserve to live a happy, prosperous, and well life. You, you deserve that. But nobody's going to give it to you. You're going to have to prioritize your wellness. We all do. And I hope this wellness check helps you to find the courage to do it. That is your wellness check. We'll be right back. All right, friends, we are back, and it's now time for our Apex Highlight. I am super excited today to have my friend, my colleague, uh, and my fellow Howardites, Miss Jeanette Horge-Smith Horge on the show today. Jeanette, welcome. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me, Brandon. Uh, friends, Jeanette is the CEO of Dash Coordinating and Marketing, Marketing LLC, which was founded right here in Washington, D.C., she graduated from Howard University with a degree in broadcast journalism and has worked closely with media and marketing moguls. With over 17 years of experience as a media personality, a marketing director, event coordinator, and strategist, she's uh, had the opportunity to work with esteemed clients throughout the nation, including uh, then-Vice President Joe, Joe Biden, uh, the Embassy of Canada, the National Dental Association, Scream Star Entertainment, Next Generation of Leaders, National Campaign, and several other clients throughout the world, including Apex. Uh, Dash Coordinating Marketing stands at the forefront of the new media generation through uh, offering tech-based services, including website development, graphic design, digital content development, and pro promotional event planning. If that were not enough, Jeanette is uh, committed to community service. Uh, she's a motivational speaker to students, adults, and emerging entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs about uh, personal and business development. As a way to give back to her community in West Tampa, Florida, Jeanette volunteers with the local Girl Scout troop and donates to several local and national organizations. She's also a former member of the National Coalition of 100 Black Women, Prince George's County Chapter, 
And as a con and she was a former contestant uh, for the Miss Maryland USA 2012 pageant. Uh, she's awesome. If you didn't know, she's all that in a bag of chips. Jeanette, thank you again for making the time to be here. <laughs> I know how, how busy your schedule is. Thank you for having me. Looking forward to today's conversation. Excellent. Okay, so me too. Let's get right into it then. So tell us, give us your, I mean, I just read all that wonderful, those wonderful things about you, <laughs> but why don't you tell the people, give us your elevator speech uh, about Dash Coordinating and Marketing LLC. Absolutely. So Dash Coordinating and Marketing is a full service marketing agency, and it's our goal to pick our clients just like they pick us. It's not our goal to do everyone's marketing. We're really looking for those unique clients that have a service, an event, or a product that we can really believe in and get behind. And so essentially, we work with clients in a variety of industries. We understand where they are. We get a clear vision on where they'd like to go. And we build a marketing roadmap to get them to that destination. I, I love that. Uh, you said you're not trying to do everyone's marketing. And I, one of the things I, I talk about uh, frequently to, to people is that all money ain't good money. Right. So you <laughs> you have That's to really be you have to be mindful, uh, you know, about you know what clients you take and, and when you take them. Right. It, you know, th those those sorts of things really matters because it, it affects uh, the level of service. Uh, that you offer. And as you mentioned, you know, you are doing things that you love. And so it, I imagine it doesn't quite feel like work for you. That's part of the reason why you're so good at it. Exactly. You know, you're totally right. I mean, what I do is a part of my passion. Mm -hmm. Starting the company, you know, I believe in businesses. I believe in entrepreneurship. And I got tired of seeing, quite frankly, minority-owned businesses and organizations that had great products and services, but horrible marketing. Yeah. It's like going to that restaurant and the food is so good, but the menu is falling apart. <laughs> and so, you know, what, what can I do to help that that client, well, let me help them build their brain. Yeah. Um, and so that's that's exactly right. Identifying those clients that, again, we can believe in allows us to do what we do effortlessly. Absolutely. And you do it so well. I mean, you, I really have, uh, I could say, I could sing your praises uh, for, for days. I mean, I, I have been so pleased to work with you over the years and to, to be a client of yours and um, you know, I'm often, I'm often asked who does your marketing, right? And it's, I get to say it's Dash Coordinated Marketing. How did you start this business? So how did you get to, to, I guess, discovering that, that marketing is your passion? Sure. So as you read, I was a journalism major at Howard. So I thought I wanted to be a news anchor. Mm. And it wasn't until I had an internship at WTTG Fox 5. And a part of that was sitting in the control room, being in production meetings. And quite frankly, I found it boring. Yeah. I, I did not like the idea of reading someone else's script. I wanted to write the script. And so it wasn't until I had another internship at the Hard Rock Cafe in their sales and marketing department, where I was given the opportunity to see how building brands and impacting brands was still a way for me to use my passion for storytelling mm -hmm. and journalism, but to do that in a way that could build a brand, a company, or an agency, and then make sure that their narrative is showcased and exemplified in everything they did as it pertains to their marketing. And so now I like to say, I create the news mm -hmm. because it's based on what I do that then the news may find interesting and not just the news, journalists, et cetera, may find interesting and report on. So it's just a different angle um, for me in using my passion for communications and understanding the significance of branding and perception being reality and helping that 
um, come into connection with all the clients that we work with. Yeah, that's that's great. I just love that. That <laughs> it's a beautiful thing to see when when uh, because I, I think a lot of people don't recognize uh, the work. Uh, and the strategy that goes behind what we see, the, the like the advertisements, the but there is you guys do this. You guys do work, right? I mean, you kind of uh, reverse engineer this thing. You kind of start from, all right, this is the event and, th- and we need to, uh, you know, sort of have first announcements. This, uh, you know, can you just kind of talk through that a little bit? I, I'm not doing yeah. it real justice, but can you just talk <laughs> about like the work that goes into sort of like a big campaign. I think you actually, why don't you take the campaign that you, you're doing a campaign currently. Sure. Why don't you tell us about that? Absolutely. So, I mean, it's, it's a psychology mm. uh, to, to this, this thing that we do, and especially with events. So I'm currently working on um, putting together a 5K event, which is going to be taking place literally next week, and it'll be the 42nd annual for this particular organization. And to be quite honest, when I came on board, I had to, one, understand what they've been doing for the past 40-so years, but then really look at the experience that people were having. Of course, the pandemic was a catalyst in us re-examining how this was executed, but it was through the pandemic that we realized we can use technology here. We ended up raising more money than ever before for this fundraiser because we utilized technology to do virtual streaming programs. So then we had groups all over literally the nation hosting these walks simultaneously. And so what I try to do is, of course, I'm thinking about what is my client's goal first? Mm. And then what is the experience going to be for their guests or their customers? And then how do we make that experience one that's unforgettable, that's a pleasure to have, and that will keep people talking about it and looking forward to it in the next year? And so oftentimes it's communication. It always comes down to communication. To me, communication is the key to a healthy relationship, whether it's personal or professional. And so what I find most what we do with clients that they're not thinking about is we think about what does this communicate to your client, whether it's verbally, whether it's non-verbally, whether it's visually, whether it's what they're experiencing when they walk through the doors of your store. We're always thinking about how and what are we communicating with our clients and is it going to put them in the right mind frame that we need them in to fulfill our goal. Yeah, right, to buy or so, to donate or to whatever it is, right? <laughs> absolutely. So it's certainly to your point, there's a psychology to it. And, and quite frankly, I understood this very early on, which is why my minor was human development uh-huh. when I was at Howard University. That's smart. I love that. Um, and you're, I love the fact that you're able to, you're, it's a, there's a, uh, there's a certain blessing when you're able to like, use what you've studied uh, in in undergrad or in your studies, right, in your uh, professional studies, I guess is what you're what we would call it. But being able to use that in your day to day life, it's it's there's something there's a magic there. And I that I'm that honestly, if I'm being quite frank, I'm really just now sort of even with this podcast, just now stepping into that uh, because I do my legal stuff uh, and sort of and obviously I communicate. uh, That's what I do. That's what we do. But my communications background really has not really been really, really used like this. And so I'm in the space now where I'm able to use them both. And I feel like there is a magic here that you've been experiencing for some time now. So for since uh, when, when did you found Dash? It was 2011. 2011. So you've been doing this a long time. Kudos to you. Yeah. 
a lot of businesses don't make it and you've been doing it for, I don't do math in my head. What is it? At least 11, 11 years. years. Okay. <laughs> that is impressive. That is impressive stuff. So kudos to you and congratulations on, uh, on your, on all your success. Um, what's your inspiration? What keeps you going? How, how do you continue to do this? I mean, you obviously are a, a very loving and dedicated wife. You're uh, awesome mom to some rambunctious boys uh, <laughs> and you're a CEO. How do you how do you manage to to continue to be inspired and, and, and push through when times in particular when times gets gets get difficult? Oh well that inspiration for me um, really comes from my family. Uh, and it, it really starts back to my grandfather who at the age of seventeen um, wanted to start his own business. And in order to do so, he actually had to ask a white man to get the loan for him because back then black men or black people couldn't get a loan. And my grandfather from that point, not only opened up his own business, he purchased real estate so much so to where during his passing, he was able to give his 12 children their own homes. Wow. And so when I know that that blood runs in me and it runs in me deep, uh, I am not intimidated and nor am I validated by who or what someone think I can or will become. Yeah. And so that started there. But then also I have to give kudos to my parents. Uh, my dad is a first generation college graduate. He went to FAMU. His dad, my grandfather, could not read. <laughs> His mom, my grandmother, only had a seventh grade education. And so when I'm afforded the opportunity at the sacrifice of those who've come before me to attend a Howard University, to live in a Washington, D.C. for four years, it wasn't a matter of if I can, it's how will I, because I met. <laughs> and so my inspiration is the sacrifices that I know people have made for me to be where I am. And what keeps me going is knowing that no one validates who I am or who I have the potential to become. And not every day is rosy. Yeah. Not every day <laughs> is, is a, a high, vibrant day. I am oftentimes tired, hungry, and sleepy. But I have to think back to those sacrifices. I'm sure many people before us were yeah. tired, hungry, oh, and sleepy, but they had to push through. And I'll tell you, the Supreme Court justice candidate, she said one thing, and she said a woman walked past her on the on the yard of Harvard and leaned over and said, persevere. And that literally, I dropped a tear yeah. just last <laughs> night looking at that on my timeline. And that's exactly what it is. It's perseverance. We have no time and we have no excuse to not strive to be the best that we can be. And it's going to take hard work. And so um, for me, I just have no excuse and no reason to not try my hardest to be the best that I can be while pulling up the next generation to fulfill yeah, their absolutely. dreams. Absolutely. I, I love that. And uh, I, I was uh, watching the hearings of uh, Judge Kataji Brown Jackson uh, very, very uh, intently this week. And, and uh, we talk about that quite a bit in, in, uh, in, in this particular episode. So uh, we're we're gonna we're certainly shouting her out again uh, because why not? Uh, she, she deserves it. We're so proud of her, uh, and and she is a, a part of all of us uh, in this in this space in this sort of historic moment. Let me deviate a little bit. I really want to um, I want I want to know because this this part of your your bio doesn't get a whole lot of attention, but you were a contestant at the Miss Maryland USA 2012. Uh, 
uh, uh, I guess the contest, right? The this this thing, right? And this is so huge. Um, can you just because you know we see them on TV, we see these pageants on TVs, and they're not often uh, portrayed as the brightest people in the world. Uh, you obviously are super intelligent. Can you just tell us a little bit about that experience? I, we don't have a whole bunch of time, but just a minute or two about what you sure. what that was what that experience was like. Why'd you do it? And and yeah, just a little. Tell us about that. Absolutely. I think it's the why, and I'll try to make it quick. I actually got into pageantry in high school. My cosmetology teacher said, you should run to be Miss and Living Color. I was like, no, I don't do pageants. She was like, you could win $500. I said, sign me up. I won $500 in the bank account. Next. Then there were some women my senior year in high school who said, we want you to be a candidate for Miss Teenage Tampa. Again, I'm thinking, I don't do pageants. Well, you could win money for a scholarship. Don't you want to go to Howard? I sure do. Signed up. Did it. Wow. Won money in the bank. So when I graduated from Howard University, I started my company a year later. And I was thinking, how can I get people to recognize mm -hmm. me, to kind of generate this, this buzz? What can I do? Well, what have I always done? Let me see what pageants are out there. Because with pageantry, it forces you to build relationships. It puts you in a limelight. It makes you become your better physical mm -hmm. self. And becoming your better physical self is also your better mental self, healthy self, et cetera. And so I am very goal oriented. And so what I told myself at the beginning of the pageant journey was it doesn't matter if I win Miss Maryland. What matters is the connections that I make and that I've made sure that I've made this journey work for me. And so in doing that, I naturally named myself an oral health advocate. I was partnering with dentals. I did a fundraiser in partnership with the oral surgery company. These are things that your normal contestant doesn't have to do. Really, to your point, all you have to do is be pretty and look good and you will win. And so for me, it wasn't about that. It was about using that simply as a catalyst to get people to know who I am, to build those relationships and to use that as a stepping stone Absolutely. to the next level. I love that. You got to use what you got <laughs> to get what you want. <laughs> Absolutely. So that's great. And did you enjoy it? I mean, was it different? Uh, this is my last question is, was it, was that level, the state level, was that obviously that was different? Did you enjoy your, your time? What was your takeaway from it? I really did. I, I, I enjoyed it because I knew why I was mm. there. Right. So I built the relationships with the with the woman who won, uh, Nana Mer uh, Merriweather. She actually went on to become Miss oh, wow. USA. Um, so I, I wasn't yeah, right. that USA. <laughs> but but at the same time, you know, I was there for the relationships. I was there for the experience. I didn't put that pressure on myself. There was some choreography. I'm a dancer at heart. So, you know, I was in the front yeah. row. You know what I mean? So it was a party for me. It was a great time. I had already, by the day of the pageant, fulfilled mm -hmm. what my true intentions and goals were. So for me, I can say it was good. It, of course, it, it, it's, a, it's a production. You practice, you know, you're scripted. It's a production. Let's not get it twisted. Um, but if you're a journalism major and you're used to pageants, it's... It it's a breeze. Bad. All right, very good. Thank you for sharing that. I'm sorry for going off script, but I'm so curious about it. So thank you for sharing that. Uh, so listen, my last two questions um, that I'd love to get to: uh, your best uh, and or worst experience professionally. Like, like looking for like the highlight of something that was like, oh my gosh, this is so great. This is why I'm doing what I'm doing. Uh, and or your low point that's like, ooh, 
I got to figure something else out. Like you can, I let my guests choose which one or both they'd like to answer. And so uh, we're looking to hear from you on that. Yeah, I'm going to go with the low point, right? Because I, I don't ever want to paint this picture that life is peachy pearly. And I have a lot of good accolades already. So uh, two low points that are kind of at the same level and at the same time was when I had to terminate client agreements. Mm. Um, there were situations where I was working with one particular client who I was excited to work with. This was like a huge opportunity. And as I was doing stuff, you're going to get invoice. And I'm going to communicate about that invoice. But then it became the questioning of the value of what we were doing after it had yeah. been done. <laughs> and so that was very disappointing. It was very disheartening because I was so excited about this client. But I had to make a professional decision to say, you know what? No, sir. Yeah. What we will not do is have us go in, have my team go in, execute a service that we've communicated, and then we get to the invoice and we're still yeah. negotiating. That was a very difficult moment, but it was a learning point. So much so that let's fast forward into last year. I have been working with the organization almost since the, the, the founding of Dash, and they got new leadership. And this particular executive director came in macho, wanting things his way, not understanding why things were the way they were based on his organization and started to place the blame on us. Oh, it's not this because of you guys. And it's not that. And and I soon had to realize I have to protect my team. I'm a yeah. CEO. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and the emails were disrespectful and no accountability was being taken. And so, again, it was one of those moments where I had to say, geesh, I'm going to lose mm. this client. And it's not because they're going to terminate their agreement. It's because yeah. I'm going to do it. And so it's a low moment for me because I, I never want to be in that position. I said, we pick our clients like they pick us. I love that client. But what I will not do and what I've learned from those situations is I will not allow anybody to disrespect my team nor will I allow them to put our brand Absolutely. at jeopardy when they're not willing to take accountability for what is reality. And so those were low moments for me because I don't think that's a position you ever want to be in as an entrepreneur, but it's certainly something that you learn from how I communicate with clients moving forward, just laying expectations out, good, bad, or indifferent, uh, just being very straight and firm. And that's something I've had to learn as a probably young black woman entrepreneur in certain yeah. industries is just really making sure people know it is what it is and it will be what I say. Um, there's room to compromise, but at the end of the day, yeah. <laughs> so those were, those were, I would say professional yeah. moments um, that I've experienced. Run me my money. Okay. I love that. <laughs> okay. All right. My last question and we're over time, but that's okay. We're, we still, we got, we're in our bubble, our, our safety zone here. So, uh, answer freely. Uh, this is uh, advice to other entrepreneurs uh, or your younger self. And you. Uh, that's another area where I allow the guests to kind of pick where they want to be. Uh, but we're looking for any counsel, right, for anybody coming up either in your field or just, you know, as an entrepreneur in general or just your younger self. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. For the young folks, get experience, get exposure. Don't tell me what you want to do. Go find out how mm -hmm. you can do it now, whether it's walking through the door and asking to be an intern or a volunteer. For my budding entrepreneurs, start and start somewhere. Just know that if every day you've only taken one step forward, that could be a phone call, that could be an email, that could just be meeting someone, you have made progress. And for those who are still out there chasing those dreams, dream big, 
Work hard and never let anyone validate who you are or who you have the potential to become. Those may sound very cliche, but that's because anytime someone asks me that question, that's what I say and that's what I live by. Walk every day by faith and know that God got you and the rest is Amen already done. To that. Thank you for sharing that. I, and I just, I will echo this, the one piece about young people getting involved, right? Finding ways to serve, to, to volunteer, uh, service uh, opens doors uh, for you. And so don't don't miss those opportunities waiting for something to come to your doorstep. You got to go out there and get it. Uh, and it's out there. It's out there for you. And Jeanette, you're a big example of that. So am I. Uh, and so but we thank you for your time today. My goodness, it is such a pleasure to chat with you. You're a brilliant black woman and it is an awesome awesome time to uh to work with you work for you i think i work for you i'm pretty sure that's it <laughs> uh i used to t i always tell people we're going to end with this i always tell people when a black woman tells me what to do i just listen my job is to listen and and to and usually i i end up in the right space so thank you for that <laughs> it's always been my truth thank you for your time though really really appreciate it and thank you for your wisdom today uh, best wishes to you on your event next week. And uh, I guess that's it, right? Is that it? Okay. Yeah, that's it. Thank you so much. I'm honored to All be right, on All right, guys. We'll be right back to wrap things up. Oh, no. Actually, we've got our motivational moment when we come back. Stick with us. All right, friends. It's time now for our motivational moment. So, as we mentioned earlier, the hearings for Justice Jackson, excuse me, Judge Jackson, maybe Justice Jackson soon enough, but the hearings for Judge Jackson's confirmation to the highest court of the land happened last week, and we had an opportunity to see Senator Cory Booker, the only black person on that Judiciary Committee. We saw him take his questioning time, his time, uh, to pour into Judge Jackson. He uplifted her and uh, spoke into her uh, life and into her existence. And I think, quite frankly, uh, Senator Booker spoke for many black men across the nation and the globe. And I appreciate him for doing that. But I've decided today that, you know, I have a podcast and I have a voice, too. And so while I appreciate uh, Senator Booker standing in the gap for me at the U.S. Senate, uh, today I'm going to use this motivational moment to talk to black women. Thank you. Thank you for your style, your grace, your poise, and your character. Thank you for your love and your compassion, for your brilliance, your beauty, and your beauty, <laughs> and your booty. <laughs> Thank you for your grit and your awareness, uh, and for your compassion. And many of you know I'm a brother of Phi Beta Sigma Fraternity Incorporated, and our sisters, Zeta Phi Beta Sorority Incorporated, were often greeted with a special greeting. Um, that, and we always took the opportunity to remind them they were the queens of this world and the mothers of all civilization. Uh, that they should be greeted with respect, honor, and love. <clears throat> and my hope is 
that we will do that more and more each day. You see, ladies, black girl magic is real. Uh, hey, black girl magic saved my life. It created the name of this podcast. Um, and probably saved my life a couple of times. <laughs> uh, one time in particular, these three uh, young ladies, uh, I think two from Ohio and one from New York, uh, they were they came in town and they stayed in an Airbnb in, apartment in my apartment building. They smelled something off, and I remember them knocking on my door and asking me what I thought. Uh, and I was content with, like, I smelled it, but, you know, maybe you guys just open a window. I don't know. It doesn't doesn't seem to be so bad. Um, and I'm not smelling anything in my apartment. Um, it was just a regular Friday night, so I was just chilling, doing nothing in particular. Um, but had those ladies listened to me instead of their instinct... Um, I might have began my eternal rest that night because of their swift and decisive action to call the authorities. My life was saved. Uh, firefighters uh, banged on the doors and uh, ordered us to clear out the building. Uh, there was a carbon monoxide leak. And those, as you know, can be deadly. And so I don't know those young ladies' names or where they are now, but if you're out there, ladies, thank you in particular. Hopefully you're listening and hopefully you get this. But for the many black women who taught me, who challenged me, who carried me, who made me, supported me and saved me, who changed me and poured into me, He held me accountable, created opportunity for me, and loved me unconditionally. And I just want to say thank you. I want to honor you today. And I need to let you know that you belong in every room that you enter. Do your thing like only you can. And don't let nobody tell you different. That is your motivational moment. We'll be right back to wrap things up. Baby, Damn. mama, she was in the street, so guess what? All right, friends, it's a wrap. We have just completed season one, episode seven of Lawyerish, and I'm super excited. Thanks to our guests today, Mr. AJ Amisa Esquire and Ms. Jeanette Smith. As always, a big shout out to our intern, Mr. Marcel Simmons, and to my main man, Mr. Keith Jackson and Mad Rabbit for producing this episode. Lawyerish is powered by Apex, where aptitude meets excellence. A big shout out to the late young Dolph for our voyage vibe today. May rest in peace. Blessings to his soul and to his family. Thank you for listening and for watching. We're going to take a couple of weeks as we prepare for our final episode and our first roundtable. That's going to be on April 12th. Send your legal questions and feedback to lawyerish at apexgroupdc.com. 
Follow me on the gram at BWallaESQ and at Apex Group DC. Remember to like, share, comment, and subscribe. Like any voyage, it's always a little bit more fun if we can bring a friend or two along. Thanks so much, friends, and until next time, be well.